Hello, everyone. Welcome to Health Formation, the podcast where we give you health and wellness news to use. I'm Katie, and I'm your host, and I'm here with Marcus. Hi, Marcus. Hey, guys. How's everything going? So, if you guys haven't noticed, I haven't released a new Health Formation episode in a little bit. Um, and honestly, I just I'm, I've recorded a couple episodes, and I just have not had the time or mental capacity, I guess, to just go in and edit them. Um, so I have some good stuff cooking. It's just not ready to be posted yet. Um, and I don't, I don't know why I'm not working. I'm working considerably less than I would be if it was like school was in session. So I don't know what my problem is, but I just haven't had the wherewithal to sit down and edit out those podcasts. So I'm just going to go back to the basics today and just have a nice chat with Marcus and then hopefully we can get a good good one out there for you <laughs> definitely it's it's always harder to keep your routine when you don't have to keep your routine yeah like with the virus and school not being in and work being different it's it's hard to do the things that you usually do even though you have more time right so today's topic we are going to be talking about depression um and then we will give you kind of just like a little bit of an overview. Most people probably know what depression is, but just like a little bit more of an overview clinically. And then we're going to talk about the impact of diet and how that affects depression. And then we'll also talk about exercise and how that affects depression. And then we're going to try to make it really real world and applicable for you um, or for your patients if you are a healthcare provider. So do you want to start out and just give like a little bit of an overview of what depression is and how it is diagnosed? Uh, yeah. Um, so depression is a pretty broad term that encompasses like a lot of mental disorders, but it's basically just a person has a low mood or they're sad a lot for no real reason because you're going to have ebbs and flows in your mood, but depression is when it's just consistently low or low for no reason. And usually with depression, you'll have like decreased desire to do things and decrease physical activity. Cause is really unknown uh, for most cases of depression, and it's difficult to manage. The medication is difficult. Side effects are not great. Adherence is not good either. So it's, it's just really difficult, and it's really common. Sometimes people can think that people with depression are just in a bad mood or a party pooper, but it's really like a clinical diagnosis. Uh, we're trying to shed some light into how you can prevent or help it without the use of medication. Yes. So um, two of the things that you said that I want to touch on. So one of them is that antidepressants, so obviously antidepressants are kind of like our mainstay of therapy, which we'll go into that a little bit more, but only one third of patients actually have a clinical response to the first antidepressant that they try. And I don't think that people know that. I think that people think like, oh, I'm on my sertraline or Lexapro or whatever, and now I should feel better. Um, but the vast majority of people, two thirds, are not going to have a response to the first um, antidepressant that they try. So the other thing is that one third of people have a sustained incomplete response. So I think for that, my big takeaway is like, if you have a patient with depression or if you have depression and you feel like what you're doing isn't working, ask your healthcare provider, or if you are a healthcare provider, make a recommendation that you try something else because we have a lot of different drugs and 
they all work differently in everyone. And like, you know, the perfect example of all these antidepressants working differently in everyone is that they have a side effect around with around a 10% incidence of fatigue. And then they also have a 10% incidence of insomnia. So some people you're going to get really tired when you take them. And then some people you're going to get more stimulated and you're not going to be able to sleep. So I don't know. It just, they, they react differently in everyone. And just because it's one that you try isn't working doesn't mean that another one won't. Um, and then the other thing is that depression is also really connected with physical ailments. So it's kind of like the, what came first, the chicken or the egg. So a lot of people with depression have concurrent problems with their physical health, cardiovascular disease, asthma, um, and then like chronic conditions are heavily associated with depression as well. And another problem with starting somebody on a new antidepressant is they take like sometimes two weeks, sometimes up to two months until mm-hmm. you get the full effect from it. So that can kind of tie into the adherence with it. If someone's on a medicine for a month straight and they don't feel any better, then they could be inclined to talk to the doctor about switching when it could start to have a positive effect in the next week or so. It's really hard to know because it all controls the neurotransmitters in your brain. And it's kind of, it takes a while to get everything to like a nice equal point. So it takes a lot of patience from um, both the patient and provider. And if you are on an antidepressant and you want to get off of it or you want to switch, don't do that without the help of your healthcare provider because you can have some withdrawal effects, especially if you're on what we call like the SNRI, which would be Effexor or Venlafaxine is probably our most common mm-hmm. one or duloxetine or Cymbalta um, because you can have really bad kind of like withdrawal symptoms if you don't take those medications. And so we would want to help you taper off them slowly or switch to something else Yeah, if you want to get off that medication for some reason. So the neurotransmitters like that are most important in depression are serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine. Those are like the big ones. Dopamine is like your um, kind of like reward center neurotransmitters. And then serotonin is more of like what people think of your happy neurotransmitter. Most of the time in depression, those are lower than they should be. And what antidepressants do, most of the time you have like your SSRIs, which are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, and then SNRIs and then you have TCAs, which are tricyclic antidepressants, but they all help to increase the available neurotransmitters for your body to use. And that's why um, they may take a while for them to work because they don't just, they're not neurotransmitters themselves. They just help your body have more available to use. And so 12.7% of the um, United States population ages 12 and up are currently using an antidepressant. And that statistic comes from the APA or the American Psychological Association. Um, And this is represents a 64% increase in antidepressant use from 1999 to 2014. So definitely common. I would say working in a university setting, one of the top, if not the top drug class that we dispense um, because they're also used for anxiety and so prevalent, um, like just like testing and I guess a lot of 
societal kind of pressures making people have anxiety and depression at higher rates. And we are, we see a lot of, a lot of SSRIs. Yeah. I see a lot of uh, Prozac and Cymbalta, yep. like a lot, a lot. All right. Serotonin, the neurotransmitter that we were talking about before, it um, is synthesized from an amino acid called tryptophan. And tryptophan is an essential amino acid, which means you, your body can't make it on its own, so you have to get it from food. And um, there's been some studies that have shown a decreased amount of tryptophan in patients with depression. So like you can kind of assume that if you increase the amount of tryptophan, then you could increase the amount of serotonin and that could help alleviate depression. So there's been some studies that try to figure out whether supplementation of tryptophan or if diets that include foods high in tryptophan can help alleviate depressive symptoms. And the data isn't uh, like super concrete on it. There's uh, a lot of studies that say it does help. There's a lot of studies that say it doesn't help. I haven't really found any study that says diets higher in tryptophan make depression worse. So, I mean, you can kind of take that how you want, but some foods that are super high in tryptophan are spirulina, which is like a green, uh, you can get it in like a powder. Mm -hmm. uh, it's pretty tasteless. So you can mix it in anything. If you and put then, it in a smoothie, yeah, sometimes you can't really taste it. Was, they yeah. have it in super greens a lot. Mm -hmm. And then organic soybeans, always. Um, Cage-free eggs have a lot, and they say the egg whites have a lot in them too. And then spinach, wild-caught salmon, um, nuts and seeds. And then I found somewhere that nut flour or nut butter um, mm. has more tryptophan than like the actual nut itself. I don't right, know it's how like so they do concentrated. That. Probably, but I, I've seen like uh, sunflower seed flour <laughs> and sunflower seed butter and then there was there's one other one uh they have like almond flour and those are pretty good substitutes for white flour whenever you do anything that takes flour like baking or anything like that and it gives it like a nutty flavor but yeah those are just ways to increase the amount of tryptophan in your body which will in turn increase the amount of serotonin i also saw diets high in antioxidants and especially they did one call it was a study with coffee extracts okay would um decrease the breakdown of tryptophan in your body so um you can kind of think if you have more antioxidants so like berries fruit pretty much all colorful fruits and vegetables are going to have some sort of antioxidants in them so just another reason yeah. to your fruits and veggies Exactly. I was just going to say some foods to avoid that I was looking at that can further, I don't know if it, I don't necessarily know if it would worsen depression, but maybe just not support you to for feeling better. Um, yeah. So definitely alcohol, which is a depressant in and of itself um, should be avoided. Caffeine, any sort of sugar, which I think you mentioned you're going to talk about data with sugar. Yeah and sugar-sweetened beverages, obviously. And then mm -hmm. any fried foods or processed foods. So all of those kind of foods that are going to stimulate an inflammatory response 
are then going to also cause decreases in your mood. That was one study that I read was um, like the inflammatory markers would degrade. It was like brain-derived neurotropic factor or some like, I don't know, that's way too much detail for this. (laughs) But pretty much it showed that anything that could cause inflammation in your body can promote the breakdown of tryptophan which can you can like theorize that that could not support the betterment of depression right and don't forget the one of the biggest contributors of inflammation in our diet are our processed oils because they're high in omega-6s eat avocados yes eat avocados those are good oils good fats all right so you want to talk about the study that you found yeah Yeah, so I found um, a study, it was published in BCM Psychology, and it was titled The Possible Relationship Between Consumption of Different Food Groups and Depressions, and Depression, not Depressions. So um, they categorized depression based on a health questionnaire into two categories. One was clinical depression, and one was like depressive symptoms or pre-depression i guess it was lower yeah it scored lower on the questionnaire than full-blown depression so they looked at six different food groups they looked at legumes nuts cereals fruits and vegetables sweets and pastries and chocolate and the only three that had clinical significance were the legumes fruits and vegetables and sweets and pastries they had three um like tertiles, there was no consumption, low consumption, and high consumption. And for legumes, if they consumed none, they had like twice the risk of depression, or depression was present in twice as many people. So it was 46% and 23%. Yeah, so I thought that was crazy. And then in the fruits and vegetables, in the low consumption tertile, 29.9% 29.9% had depression. And what, only was five. what was load for consumption of fruits and vegetables? So no consumption was, they had none. I think it was like less than one per week. And then low consumption was one to two. For fruits and, and vegetables? Yes. <gasps> That's so bad. I know. And then the high consumption was three or more. Which isn't even high. No, not at all. So that's what makes it even crazier. And then the other one for sweets and pastries, the high consumption turtile was for the depression category was 36.8%. And for the no depression um, category was only 16%. So these all had um, pretty good clinical significance. Uh, The p-values were all under 0.05. What happened with chocolate? Nothing. Uh, chocolate, there was not really. It was not like even a trend. there was there was a trend, but it was not um, statistically significant. Chocolate makes me happy, though. Yeah, no. Well, it's it's about the same actually. In the in the low consumption group, there was less depression. In yeah, there was less depression, and then in the high consumption, there was only a little bit more. Okay. So. That's sad. Chocolate's still up in the air. Placebo effect. Yeah. And it didn't <laughs> say what type of chocolate either. True. 
So that is just more support, I guess, for a whole food diet because it shows that people that are eating healthier, um, there's less incidence of depression in those populations. And what's like for the the diet category for the legumes was pretty impressive because for the high consumption, there wasn't much difference. The low consumption, there wasn't much difference. But then when there was zero consumption of legumes, that's when the depression rate skyrocketed. Well, you kind of think about, I think of legumes as a healthier food that you kind of have to like seek out. So maybe if you're seeking out that food group would be associated with other healthful behaviors that would promote mental health. Yeah. That's what I was taking from this. It's it's hard to, because everything was done from a questionnaire. So it's, it's kind of hard to see, like, you can't, like the last podcast we talked about when they were in the ward and everything was super strict, then that's when you could see the most evidence. All of this is just correlation, but um, it does have statistic significance. There was another study that looked specifically at uh, sugar intake from sweet foods and beverages and how they were correlated with depression. And this was... This was a pretty lengthy study. It was a cohort study. They followed them for like 15 years. Wow. The, the main gist of it, they did a cross-sectional study mm-hmm. and they did a prospective cohort. And they found in the cross-sectional study that there was a strong positive association between sugar intake from sweet foods and beverages and common mental disorder. And the common mental disorder was, again, like the lower... Um, depressive category it wasn't full-blown depression but they didn't find the correlation with um, like clinical depression so I guess a lot of this evidence is more for um, people who have like a lower mood that don't have uh, clinical depression I guess like the easiest okay. way to put that so that supports pretty much the same thing as what you as what the other study found yeah. So one of the other things that I wanted to mention, I thought that was interesting that you wrote on here, individual nutrients versus a good healthy diet. Did you want to say uh-huh. something about that? Because I have one thing that I wanted to point out about an individual individual nutrient. Yeah, I'll just, just like my opinion on that. They, I read a few studies, but nothing like that I felt was super... <laughs> clear yeah nothing like good enough to talk about but like most of it was just saying that individual nutrient deficiencies can be present in depression but the best way to get like a well-rounded nutrient profile is just eat a wide variety of healthy food yeah it's pretty much i agree with that completely and overall I mean, 100% agree with that. But I would like to point out one thing, which I guess this isn't even really a nutrient, but one supplement, I guess, um, is curcumin, which is the active component of turmeric. And there's been a lot of data looking at the use of um, curcumin in the treatment of depression. And it has pretty strong evidence. There's um, at least six studies that compare curcumin either to placebo or other SSRIs for treatment or adjunctive therapy. And they found that it is equal to Prozac 20 
for um, antidepressant effects. And it also has an augmenting effect when it's used with Lexapro. Um, so if patients are already on Lexapro and they start to supplement with turmeric or curcumin, um, then they have an increase in their antidepressant effect of their medication. So that is one that, that uh, I thought was pretty cool. So if you are, um, if you are on an antidepressant and you feel like it might not be working and you want a little bit of extra effect, just talk to your, either your, your healthcare provider, your pharmacist, um, and maybe you would be a good person to try some turmeric. But yeah, before you make any decision like that, you should have talked to your doctor or pharmacist first, but that is, I did not know that. That is awesome. Okay. So let's transition on to exercise All right. a little bit. So I wanted to start out by asking you how you feel after you exercise. Tired, hungry. <laughs> no, I, I feel, yeah, I feel you want to exercise to a point where you feel not like rejuvenated, but energized isn't the right word either. I can't think of like what the word, you don't want to exercise to the point where you're like completely exhausted every single time you work out because that's right. going to lead to overtraining and, um, you want exercise to be something positive, something that you look forward to, something that relieves like the stress from the day and um, gets your mind off of whatever you have going on. And that that's what exercise is for me. Like, that's how I feel after like, uh, lift or play basketball or go for a run or something like that. I just feel like clear and peaceful. I guess would be like the best way for me to describe it. Okay. Well your experience, I guess, validates what um, is pretty commonly known, I guess, in studies. So lots of studies support that even a single bout of exercise will help to improve mood. So 10 to 30 minutes after a workout, people report an improved mood, more clear thinking, um, and just feeling better. And this can be in patients that have depression or patients who do not. Um, so that's just even one bout of exercise can help. So start out to say, you know, it's never too little. You can always just do a little bit and that can even help. But yeah. The people that in, um, exercise more consistently, which is considered at least 150 minutes of physical activity per week, cohorts of people that exercise that much, there are lower rates of depression. So we kind of see it as uh, something for prevention of depression and then also for treatment of like acute treatment. So we know that depression helps in that scenario. Um, but we kind of want to delve into like what happens when someone has clinical depression and we're utilizing exercise either to augment their treatment with their SSRI or as a treatment if they're, they don't want to, someone doesn't want to seek therapy for their depression. Um, so the first thing that kind of started this up was a Cochrane review that came out in 2013. Um, and if, you are unsure of what a Cochrane review is, it's, it is our highest level of evidence and our best um, study that we can have. So it's like a meta-analysis plus. Um, and they the way that they're done is very rigorous and they compile studies that are similar to give us more people so that we can have a more strong evidence, basically. Um, and so within this Cochrane review, they had a lot of studies, but they narrowed it down to the six best studies. So when they looked at 
um, they removed all the studies that had any sort of publication bias. They took it down to six studies, which was a total of 464 participants. So they were six pretty small studies. Um, they found that there was really no difference in the overall mood um, in the patients that were treated in this or that were observed in this study. And, but the author concluded that there may be a moderate benefit to utilizing exercise. So like I said, this was an older study that was published in 2013. Since then, there have been some more things that have come out on it. And I think the newer studies are a little bit more rigorous in the qualifications for saying if a person exercised or not. Um, And so I looked at three different studies. I'm not really going to go into like that much detail about the different studies, um, but the in general, the treatment groups, um, they were looking at aerobic activity. So either moderate or intense aerobic activity um, with strength training and balance training. And the goal for them was about two to three times per week for 60 minutes in duration. And the comparator was either a control or, you know, kind of just like the provider telling the patient to go exercise. And then in one of the studies, they compared it to yoga. Um, And what they found was that actually in, in all of the studies that I looked at, the people that were or that were working out consistently in the um, moderate to intense physical activity, they all had improvements in their depressive scores from the start to the end of the study. So the studies were usually about three months in length. Um, and what they did was they looked at their, they used these validated depression scales and they had them do them at the beginning and then again at the end. Um, and in all the studies, there were decreases in the scores. So that's great. Yeah. Um, the, the one thing that I do want to, well, there's a couple things that I want to mention. So when you're assessing these studies, there is some sort of kind of like treatment bias. So people know that they're in a study. So if they, when they complete the same scale twice, um, there's going to generally be a decrease in the scale from the beginning to the end, just because of the bias of the patient completing the same scale. So in order to control for that, you compare the differences between the groups. So all of the groups are going to decrease, but which group decreased the most. Um, and then that's how you can actually see which, uh, which treatment had the best effect. And so in the studies, um, exercise had the best effect. Also, I mentioned that in one of the studies, they compared it to yoga. Um, and I thought that that was interesting because yoga is already sort of well validated that it does treat depression. Um, so they actually, since it's so well validated, they actually used it as a comparator. Um, in one of the studies, one of the studies just excluded, it was a meta-analysis. So it just excluded any studies that had yoga in it. Um, and then the third study didn't mention that. And the fact that they, in the one study X or the one meta-analysis, they excluded yoga. That's a good thing because if you already know that yoga can help treat depression, but you want to find out what other exercises also help, and you completely eliminate any bias that would come from yoga that would have stronger evidence for everything else in the study. So yes. I like that they did that. Also in that meta-analysis, um, they compared the exercise treatment to no intervention, usual care, 
and then um, counseling and then medication only. And there was a trend towards improvement in, again, when compared in all of those groups. Um, but in that one, what they found was that the biggest improvement was seen when it was compared to no intervention, which is intuitive. But yeah. the, what the author said, which I didn't think of and I, I would agree with, is that is um, a good thing for people who may be hesitant to seek therapy or to go to their doctor and talk about this, um, they can try to implement an exercise regimen on their own. And I'm not promoting that, but I'm just saying that for whatever reason, there's still stigmas um, around people saying that they have a mental health disorder or they're still, they don't feel comfortable talking about it, even with their healthcare provider, or they don't feel comfortable going to therapy. Um, and if someone is that type of person, then they can try this um, exercise intervention on their own. This is a little side note. Um, yep. It's not like related to what we're talking about, but the the stigma around mental health just beyond is so frustrating. Like if someone if someone says I'm going to see my therapist, then people kind of look at them like you have a therapist. But like, what if you said I'm going to see my personal trainer? Like it is the same exact concept, mm -hmm. but one is like physical and one is mental and people still have the stigma about the mental because they think it's like just all in their head. I think in girls, like I think in my, like my group of people that I associate with, it's a little bit more accepted. I think maybe that's just a little bit more of toxic masculinity that you got going on there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Well, even... Yeah. Not even that. Sometimes, like, older people. Oh, um, oh totally. Totally older. Generation above yeah. mine just, like, don't get it. Yeah, I agree with that totally. Um, I think our generation is a little bit more accepting of it. Hopefully, that will go away completely. The stigma will go away completely. Um, the close. last thing I wanted to mention, which I think that this is really great, um, well, is that in one of the studies, they – had the patients do a one-on-one -on -one sort of regimen with a physical therapist. That was how they got their exercise in. And they um, had about an 85% adherence in that study to their exercise regimen. And they considered adherence being that they went to at least 50% of the classes. Um, and so that was 85%. In my, in the other study where they kind of just advised the person to go exercise, um, the adherence rate was 33%, which is horrible. So what I, what I would like for you to take away from that is that when you are suggesting for a patient to go to do physical activity, you know, don't just tell them you should work out or give them a worksheet on the benefits of exercise or a brochure or pamphlet give them something more actionable to be able to do. So refer them to a uh, physical therapist, refer them to a personal trainer, connect them with someone who can actually help them to start on their exercise journey. Um, because just giving them advice to work out isn't going to, as we see in, this, in these studies, two studies showed us that just telling them to go do it 
it doesn't lead to them actually doing it. So the biggest thing is if we want them to have the benefits of exercise, they actually have to be able to commit to something that's going to help them long-term. And so we need to help them by giving them the actual tools that they need. And that is not just giving them the advice or giving them a worksheet. That'd be like saying, yeah, you, uh, you need some medicine and not saying what medicine, how to take it, side effects, anything like that. And not sending it to the pharmacy. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not in any way knocking what any sort of like family practice providers are doing because I know that if you are a family practice provider or if you are seeing your family practice provider, the amount that you have to get in with them in between seven and 15 minutes is way too much. So to tack on there something else to talk about, I know is unrealistic. That's why if we could get that referral and get the person who is the expert in that area to work with our patients, that might actually have a little bit of a better benefit for them. I know like they're already pressed on time, but PCPs are in like such a better place than you or I would be. Like if somebody comes into the pharmacy, it's, it's a little bit harder to talk about exercise or nutrition or anything like that with them than it is when they're one-on-one with their doctor. Yeah. We're also pressed for time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I've tried, like I've wanted to do that so many times. People will come in and they'll have like, I don't know, some comorbidity and I'm, I just want to say like well like have you tried eating like this or doing like this exercise or something like that but nine times out of ten they're just like give me my pills I'm trying to go home a pill for every ill oh yeah excellent transition to one other thing I wanted to say did you know that 90% of your serotonin is made in your gut so Oh, that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Oh, well, I just wanted to say food is medicine. Yeah, I read a study that talked about the link between like your gut brain um, connection. Yeah, symbiosis and uh, how that can be correlated with depression too. Okay. So just another reason to eat well. Yes. The gut brain connection is real. All right, anything else? that we want to conclude with. I think that's about it. I think my big takeaway was just reiterating that the advice of working out doesn't do anything and really just trying to connect people with the correct tools that will get them to exercise. And if you're a patient listening to this and I'm motivating you in any way to go walk your dog or do some yoga, yoga with Adrian, YouTube it. Exactly. Okay, everyone. I think that we will wrap it up. Um, Hopefully you enjoyed our episode today um, and you took away something that you can apply to yourself um, or to someone else about the role of exercise and diet in the treatment of depression. If you have any questions for us, as always, email healthformation.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook or just healthformation. And um, let us know if you want what you want to hear, if you want have any suggestions for us, or if you what you want more information on. Drop us a line, and we will love to answer your questions. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you have a happy and healthy day. Yeah, be safe. Be well, everyone. <laughs>